Hey, this is Gerds Handel, and welcome to the Inner Light Project. This show is for anyone who's wanting to lead a happier, healthier, and enlightened life. Create more self-love, inject more joy and abundance into their daily life. Join me for inspiring interviews and spiritual topics so you can shine your inner light. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Inner Light Project. My name is Gerds Hundle and today I want to share with you somebody who is an inner work guide for women. She's absolutely amazing and there is just so much wisdom in this conversation today. Um, Janelle Annette is the founder of the Alchemy Programme that helps women overcome painful relationship patterns and connect with their self-work. You'll just love her. She's just a beautiful soul and just there's so much that she has learned at such a young age and she has so much to share with us today. Hi Janelle, I'm so grateful to have you in the show and thank you for being in this space today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Oh bless you. Are you just telling me that you're in the beautiful Bali and just oh that just sounds so amazing to me and um, you've been on an amazing journey of coming back home to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's been it's been a bit of a wild ride, I won't lie, but I'm really <laughs> grateful for it every step of the way with all the, the bumps and turns. Actually, well, I want to just go back to the beginning. Can you tell us what your life was like before you became an inner work guide for women? Yeah, Ooh, okay. I've been <laughs> practicing sharing my story a lot over the years, and it is something that now feels so much more comfortable, but uh, a while back, it was definitely an edge and a vulnerability for me to talk about. So I'll just dive right in. Um, you know, I like to, I, th- I think transformation at any point in our life is possible, but it tends to be that transformation comes from those moments of being in really deep darkness and just not really seeing a different path. So that was my life. <laughs> I was struggling in so many different ways. I mean, first and foremost, relation relationally, I just was dating people that were very unhealthy, did not treat me well. Um, I, that was just coming from my own lack of self-respect. I struggled with substance abuse. I was hanging out with some pretty sketchy characters. I really didn't have any hope for my life. Like I just kind of saw myself going down a few potential really dark and bad paths. And I think there was just, I was even having an existential crisis and I felt like I just didn't understand anything and why life felt so hard and so difficult. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that it was always that way consistently through, but, um, you know, starting a few things when I was a very young child happened and then things in my home life really started escalating when I was about 12 and some pretty big traumatic events started happening. And so that's when I started this uh, downward spiral and, you know, puberty definitely didn't help with that. It just escalated everything. So yeah, at about 18, 19, I found myself in a, in a really dark place. And I just kept thinking to myself that I really needed to do something radical to get out of that because I knew that if I tried to make a change while still staying in that same environment, I wouldn't be able to get out. And I was in a pretty, pretty bad place and getting into a lot of trouble. So, um, yeah, I 
had traveled to the city of Vancouver a few times and I really, really liked it. And I remember when I went there, I was like, I'm going to live here one day. It just feels right. I feel Mm -hmm. like I fit in here more. I feel like I belong here. And I never felt like I belonged where I grew up. So one day I just decided probably at a very low moment that I was going to pick up my whole life and move. And I had no money and I knew no one in Vancouver and I was... (laughs) just a struggle bus. <laughs> and, um, everyone in my life was like, why are you doing this? This makes no sense. You have no money. You don't know anyone there. And I was like, I just got to do this thing. I don't know why it was my very first clear intuition. And something that really hits home in that moment was that even though I was so disconnected from myself, there was something deeper within me that knew, and that pulled me. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Long story short, I ended up doing it. I moved and my kind of ongoing saying when I was doing that was the only thing that feels scarier than moving and doing this is staying here and doing the same shit that I've been doing. Like I gotta, I gotta fucking go. So (laughs) I went and, uh, you know, it was few, uh, few messy moments and figuring a lot out and finding my own independence and really changing my situation. Um, but I ended up calling in a relationship that was, you know, it had its struggles, but was much healthier than what I had been experiencing in the past. Um, at least it was, you know, more respectful and healthier. And within that, we, um, just did a lot of healing things, lots of yoga and hiking. And, um, I experimented with some plant medicine and really just found a new, um, a new way of being in a new life. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm painting a few year journey in kind of this nice broad <laughs> stroke. It wasn't all <laughs> beautiful. And then I ended up, um, joining a women's circle and that's kind of how I got initiated into all of this work. And from there it was studying pretty intensively for, um, six, seven years doing lots of different plant medicines and traveling a lot. And, um, yeah, then stepping into facilitation. So that's a little overview of my journey. Wow. Gosh, what a journey of just, you know, being brave and going into the unknown and just actually just saying, you know what, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do, but I'm going to find a way that is powerful. And I can really relate with what you're saying. Cause like I moved to London when I was 21, but I was like traveling up and down since I was 19. And I said the same thing. I was like, like where I grew up my hometown was like it never felt like home I was like London feels like home and mm-hmm. I was like I'm gonna do it I don't know how I'm gonna do it and then I manifested it and ended up something like a master's here and then I just never really went back <laughs> mm. and but it was just that unknown moment that was scary but I, it, I knew that there was something better for me and I think both of us are in a I guess I say our inner child knew what was right for us but we were just mm-hmm. know how to trust her more Totally. And and sometimes, you know, the little whispers are there and we can push it down and ignore it and ignore it. And then one day, it sounds like for both of us, it was just screaming and it pierced through all the noise and the fear and whatever. And we were like, okay, I'm going to follow that. Yeah. 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 You don't mind me asking, how old are you, if you don't mind? I am 25. So still very young, um, but it was definitely a very jam-packed six years of intensity. So really grateful for that. And I'm, and I'm grateful that I got, um, into this journey as early as I did, because I think without that intense intervention at a really early time, I don't, I don't know 
um, if I would have been able to change at the rate or at least the depth that I did. So I think it was all pretty divine, but wow. I just think age is a number anyway, but the reason I was asking is because I feel like, so that I'm like 35 this year. So like there's a 10 year gap (laughs) between Mm -hmm. us, but I feel even for my time and your time, there wasn't therapy, like therapy was not seen for us or we didn't hear the word therapy that much growing up. It was, it was usually for like people that could afford it. Like, I don't remember the talk about, you know, you should go to therapy or go see somebody um, or see a psychologist. And I think now, like when I look at the younger generation, there is that, oh, you should go to therapy. Oh, you know, you should try this out. So I feel like, I don't know if you've noticed, but healing has evolved at a higher level now than it's ever done before. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think there was a lot of stigma around therapy too. Yeah. And it was looked at if you did go to it, that there was something wrong with you. And I think we mm-hmm. come from this narrative of if you need that kind of support, you're broken, not you're human. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so there's, there's so many deep layers and uh, influences that that has. And I think now it's becoming more and more accessible and more normalized, but there's also skyrocketing mental illness, right? So yeah. it's kind of like, who's to say that that didn't go up in normalization um, naturally. And that maybe happened because of so many people struggling with, you know, technology these days and the mm-hmm. disconnection and COVID and everything that's happened that's caused so much isolation. I feel like that mental health has been there like for years, but again, like, I think it hasn't been shared the way it's been shared now, like through social media. Mm-hmm. I think again, mm-hmm. like you were saying, it was always hidden. Um, and just knowing growing up, seeing certain people, um, going through that, like it, you were made to feel shameful if there was something wrong with you. Um, yeah. you're made, made to feel shameful. Like, like people used to call people crazy or like, Oh, she's a bit cuckoo or he's a bit cuckoo. And, you know, gosh, like saying that now, it just sounds awful. Like, why would you, you know, everybody has like some kind of mind health problem. Like there's no shame about it, but I feel like that, like you said, the stigma and the shame has really gone down, but I feel like there has been mental health issues for for not even just years, like I think for centuries, but again, it is a lot. I feel like you're right. There is more now, but I don't know if it's because we hear about it more now than we did before. Yeah. Yeah, definitely true. Hard to say um, what it is. And also I think the level of vulnerability that people are now practicing expressing online could be, could be a part of that, but then also growing in disconnection to self, to nature, to other, um, you know, heightened world. I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, like chaos and all the other (laughs) things. And, but, you know, there's definitely been pressures on people, every generation. It's just, yeah, it's like, we're both saying, I guess it's just hard to know what is what and where is everything coming from but yeah it's very human nature to struggle well it's all part of the journey isn't it like if we don't struggle Mm -hmm. we don't learn how to grow and yeah sometimes people don't realize that and obviously it can get worse for them but you know there's always light at the end of the tunnel yeah yeah I was just um just kind of doing some writing the other day and Mm -hmm. and thinking about how when we resist feeling our emotions, we resist so much of life because of all the fear. But if we were to make peace with our emotions and be able to feel our emotions more fully and have that relationship, life wouldn't feel so scary. You know, so many people are like, oh, I'm scared of getting rejected. It's like, are you really scared of getting rejected? Or are you scared of feeling the feelings that come with that and, mm-hmm. and embracing that struggle as just part of life? Right. But I think it's this 
rejection to the struggle or the rejection to the feelings that we've all been, you know, kind of fed, um, that creates that fear of, of life and everything that can happen. Yeah. And just, it's interesting you say that because even when I look at my own journey, it was all to do with free, fear. What mm-hmm. will people think? How will they treat me? Cause I was, I was a diehard people pleaser. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I would do everything, anything to make everyone else happy except for myself. And when yeah. I wanted to change, I remember the fear kicking in like, Oh, how will they treat me? What will they think of me? But the key is like you said, if you don't feel it, then you can't heal it. And so yeah. when I was ready to face it and it took me, trust me, to, it took me to have a cancer scare <laughs> to wake up. Mm-hmm. Like I'd gone through a lot growing up anyway, but like you know, some people need a bit of a, also saying a bit more of a tap on the head. That was for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that woke me up and I, and I remember saying it's time to heal. And I realized that, you know, if I don't feel what I'm feeling, I'm forever going to be running away or, you know, saving everybody else except for myself. And I can't do that anymore because if I don't look after myself, I might not be here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So those big pivotal awakening moments that can be so hard, but then retrospectively, we can have a lot of gratitude for what it, what it brought us. And obviously so good that you um, are okay. And you're here now. And obviously that makes the gratitude piece easier when you're healthy and, and well, I hope anyway. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about, you know, the importance importance of doing shadow work. Like how Mm. did that help you? Yeah. Well, my goodness. Um, (laughs) In so many ways. And I think shadow work is a term that maybe people are like, yeah, I know what that is, but how do you do it? And I think everyone's journey with doing shadow work could look different. There's so many different ways. Um, but in that women's circle, what I would consider is a lot of shadow work was essentially having to reveal parts of myself that I Mm. never really let the world see. And honestly, didn't even really see within myself, right? Hence it being in my shadow. It was something I was quite unconscious to, but, you know, through being in that women's circle, there was a lot of pivotal moments where, you know, for example, like I was going through a, um, a breakup and I'd lost my job and I just had no idea what was going on. I was having a really bad day and I was at women's circle and, um, one of the women noticed I was just kind of struggling and she called me into the center and I just like burst into tears and I had to have, or not had to have, I got to have, you know, about 24 women have their hands on me and just witnessing me as I like totally crumbled. And, you know, I'm not saying this is a typical shadow work process. Obviously this was unique to what I was going through, but to me, it was still very much shadow work because I started saying things that I just didn't even expect for me to say, like Mm. how I, you know, hated myself and all this self-rejection was coming out and crying and this level of vulnerability that I had never let anyone see that was not safe for me to express in front of anyone. And it's not that I think at the time I was identified with hating myself and that that was part of my shadow and some repression that I hadn't let out come through. And just to even be seen in that deep of vulnerability was one of the biggest moments for me. Cause then that helped rewire that narrative of it's not safe for me to show my feelings in front of other people. Mm. So that was one practice and I had to do many of those. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I've done some pretty intense shadow work actually in a different container that had men and women. And, um, 
I'm not meant to talk about what kind of goes into the container with people knowing what the container is. So I'll talk about what we did, but I won't name the program. And it is only something you can do locally. So for anyone listening or like, I want to do that, it's only a local thing. So um, I, oh my goodness, there were so many different exercises, but one of them was I had to sit in front of a room of 40 people and that all knew me at this point and knew me for some pretty deep things. And they all had to sit there and yell out their judgments of me. I just had to sit there. Oh and my God. <laughs> <laughs> and like, wow. take it and be like, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my job was to sit there and feel my body and notice if I reacted to a comment that that meant on some level, I agreed with that. And that meant there was some work for me to do there. Mm-hmm. Not to take it as truth. Cause a lot of that was their projections, but if something yeah. hit home that I know that that's Uh, an area for me to work on. So those are some pretty intensive shadow work processes. I mean, you can do shadow work in a journal at home for anyone that's listening. That's like, Oh, why the fuck would you do that? (laughs) Definitely don't have to go that extreme. Um, but yeah, anyway, those are just some examples of levels of intensity that I've gone to, to understand my mind. But I really think that's been the reason why I was able to change my life around so radically, because I just had to practice so many intense things and really meet that edge over and over and over again while being witnessed by other people, not just in my own privacy. Like I was actually doing that integrative work by being seen and witnessed in my depths and in my vulnerability in front of people. Wow. It's again, it goes back to what you're saying about, you know, being the fear, right? It's it's all about um, not being afraid to hear what other people think. Um and listening mm-hmm. to, and again, listen, feeling your feelings, kind of what you said earlier, like, again, you had to kind of feel your feelings and sense what was, what you were feeling in that moment. And I think it's so powerful when you become self-aware, then nothing really upsets you anymore, because you realize a lot of the time people are, play, are talking from a place of trauma, um, mm-hmm. and it's nothing to do with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. You can drop the personalization of things because you recognize that it is that is a projection or when you do take it personally like that exercise it's like okay that doesn't have to be truth I can just yeah see that I can heal this thing and it it's not something I just have to feel like I'm stuck with yeah and again like I've noticed when people get defensive over something it's because again it's nothing to do with you it's it's whatever's happened to them growing up or it's something that's happening in their life um, and again, like you said, like it's taken me years to get to that point where I'm like, oh, it's not a reflection of me. Okay. But before mm-hmm. it'd be like, how dare you treat me this way? How dare you say these things? <laughs> totally. Because we're afraid yeah. to feel our feelings, right? Like what you said, it's that, it's that moment the ego comes out and it's like, you're right. Who do you think you are? <laughs> totally. We'll do anything to defend its position. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. Shadow work is, uh, I've done the work as well like and it's so powerful like what you, you what you did was wow that I can't even imagine like 40 people just saying that gosh that <laughs> that's something else <laughs> but um I've paid attention to like my judgments and, and I see how I behave and if somebody says anything that's harsh or you know judgmental I take a step back and realize actually it has nothing to do with me and now pretty much things don't really annoy me anymore I'm just like it is what it is. Like it, it has nothing to do with me. Um, and if I am triggered, like you said, it's, it's some, some work that I need to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's this beautiful space of 
not getting pulled by your external environment too, right? Because before mm-hmm. and, and taking things personally, it might go, oh my goodness, they can't believe they said that. I'm going to start doing this instead. And I don't want them to think like all the behavior changes to keep everyone happy. Whereas if you go in and go, okay, not taking that on personally, you can be free or, okay, I have something here to work on, but that gets to be me operating from what it is that I need rather than seeking to get other people's approval as well. So it changes Mm -hmm. how you feel day to day, but also your decision-making and how you hold yourself in life and, and really everything. Yeah, that's so true. I guess that's why it's so important to heal your inner child. Yeah. I'd love to talk to you a bit more about that. Like, why do you think it's important to heal your inner child? Yeah, well, I guess it's just the uh, basis of where all of these wounds are, are held and everything that we experienced when we were growing up is is being held in our body and our reactions and in our even who we choose to be with romantically or how we operate in relationship, right? So anything that's really left unresolved and unhealed is influencing you in the now, right? On a relational level, on a self-worth level, on a decision-making level. And without paying attention to that, um, you'll be just kind of guided unconsciously, right? And the more that you go in and do that work and heal what it is that really needs to be healed, you can then be liberated and free going forward. And like I was kind of saying earlier, just able to make choices that are for you and not just to live out some old role that you learned once upon a time, right? Or an old behavior or belief system or pattern or whatever it may be. Mm. I don't know if you remember this, but Burning Man many years ago, there was a statue of two adults like kind of annoyed with each other and inside were the two inner childs like both like putting their hands out like love me (laughs) yeah yeah I think I was actually at that burning man (laughs) wow (laughs) yeah but that's what it reminds me of is the inner child like it's it's like we all want that love we all want to be heard seen and understood totally and conflict is these it it is just it just feels like two people being like see me, hear me, acknowledge me, like love me. And they're both just not feeling like they're getting it. And uh, it can just become so hard. I like, I, something I talk about a lot is um, um, active listening and how often we really struggle to do that. And it's typically a conversation just goes, um, it's just two people talking about themselves at each other. And so like, I think that applies to the inner child and that example with that statue or structure, I should say, Um, because we're just wanting to connect and be seen and acknowledged on so many levels, yet we're all kind of seeking that and unable to give it at the same time. So, yeah. What was your, what, what are some of the lessons that you've learned about your inner child? Oh, (laughs) Hmm. well, let me, let me take a moment here. Um, you know, something that has been really big in my healing has been avoidance patterns. Hmm. And when things would get hard in conflict, um, I would shut down and get really quiet and want to leave. And my automatic response from my body is flee, just the, the full um, run, run away and, and flee and get out of that situation. 
So flight response in my nervous system. And that has a lot to do with my childhood and just some unsafe environments where my response that I developed at the time was just to run or to kind of hide and be in my own space and to really deal with a lot of things internally. So I'm a quite extroverted social person, but when things get hard and when there's difficult feelings to be with, um, rather than being vulnerable or being straight up, my default would be to run and to hide and to want to just isolate and avoid. So that's been a big pattern for my childhood that I could identify and I've been working with. And, you know, it still comes up now. I think something that's so important is just recognizing that these patterns are really deep and we don't need to be like, it has to be rid and perfect. (laughs) I no longer leave the room or go silent. Um, But for example, like the other day, I was with my partner talking and I just like put a blanket over my head and did this little (laughs) ET thing. And I was like, my body is telling me to exit the room, but I'm not going to. And I'm just going to look at you for a moment and like be under this blanket. He was like, okay. (laughs) So like that's the evolution of it. Instead of saying, just avoiding and shutting down, I can now say, hey, I'm feeling kind of sad or I'm feeling afraid to be seen in this vulnerability. Like I'm just like cope with this blanket for a second. And then I'm going to continue in this conversation. I'm going to get vulnerable. Um, So that's been a huge shift. And there had been many times where at least earlier in my life, I wouldn't let anyone see me cry or I just didn't really honestly even cry very often. That's definitely changed. I cry um, lots now, (laughs) (laughs) which is great. Um, So yeah, that's one of the big examples. And I mean, there's a thousand more, but but that's been a, a big one. That's beautiful. And yeah, the crying bit. I, I think it's so important to cry. I know people feel like even I was the same, like growing up, I, I would I would lock my bedroom door and then just cry. I'd never, but again, I think that's to do with how we were raised, I'm guess. Like, you know, mm-hmm. crying was seen as a weakness. That's yeah. what I knew growing up. So you never cried in front of people because then they think you're weak. Um, yeah. And it was only later on in life, like you said, like where I, I just cry in front of people. I'm not afraid. I'm like, if I need to cry, I'll cry. Like I just let it out and I feel so much better. <laughs> totally. And then it gives permission to those people that like, Hey, look, it's safe. I can do it. You can do it. And then you, people get to see you on this deeper level rather than just this keeping it together surface kind of mask. And it's actually, ironically, we connect so much deeper when we let people in, in that way. And it is mm-hmm. safer. It's just uh, undoing that conditioning that you know, sounds like we both received and I'm sure many others received it, that it's a weakness. Yeah. Again, even being sensitive, like being sensitive as well, growing up was like that was seen as weak, but actually it's so powerful to be able to be vulnerable and share what you're feeling and, you know, cry and be in that moment and just speak whatever you're feeling. Like, I think that is more powerful than hiding away. Absolutely. And not to mention the deep level of intuitiveness that sensitive people feel. And I I really believe that we're all sensitive underneath. It's just that some people are more in touch with it um, or have come back to that and return to that sensitivity. But that sensitivity is the very thing that fuels your intuition and your discernment and being able to sense, you know, the energy in the room and what's changing and, and just really, yeah, have more clarity and, and intuition. So it's, it's such an important gift. 
100% and like I've noticed as well the more inner work you do the more sensitive you become and more you're able to sense the energy in the room or in the environments or who's going through a hard time you can just spot it straight away within seconds yeah yeah absolutely yeah can we um I want to talk to you about um why do you think women keep dating emotionally unavailable partners hmm yeah it's a big one. Well, a few reasons. <laughs> um, the first one is recognizing that I, I'd like to say, and I've been kind of repeating this a lot lately, is that attraction is an unconscious choice. Mm. So really having to recognize that sometimes it seems as though, um, you know, all quote unquote men are this way or all <laughs> women are this way. And I'll, I'll, I'll speak to men just cause that's my experience. Um, you know, coming from somebody who did really have that pattern and really did attract emotionally unavailable partners. I had some pretty deep belief systems that men were just, you know, not sensitive and uncaring and like, you just some pretty bitter things based on trauma I had experienced in the past. So first of all, we, we make these, um, or we have these belief systems and then we go and have that confirmation bias and we seek those men out. So if we have these really strong beliefs and generalizations of men, and this isn't like a conscious thing, you're not walking around being like, all men are assholes, like in your brain, but like on some unconscious level that might be true. Right. And if you can kind of resonate with talking about like, you know, even the times it's so common that women will be like, all men suck or all men are this when we're feeling hurt. Right. So we do have this tendency to generalize. Um, so those belief systems can be part of it. And then a lot of the time that attraction to those emotionally unavailable men is actually very alluring because part of that means that you're not being required to open up vulnerably because you know that they're not going to challenge you to go to that depth. So it's just very surface level. So it could be mirroring your own emotional unavailability, your own mm-hmm. lack of safety with intimacy and vulnerability. Um, and, you know, it can also mirror those early childhood uh, dynamics where maybe you had a parent who was kind of distant and you felt like you needed to win their approval, right? Or win their love. And that maybe was an ongoing dynamic where you never really felt like you did fully get their love or you did fully get their approval. And that can then transfer onto romantic partners that you pick, right? That unconscious choice of attraction that resemble that dynamic where you're going to continue playing out that role of chasing and seeking to be chosen and and proven as lovable, right? Because when you have a partner that's not fully choosing you, yet you stay there's a wound at hand. There's a wound being played out of, of wanting to be loved and to be deemed as worthy. Right. And that kind of idea of like, oh, well, maybe, um, I can change his mind. Right. Or maybe he'll change his mind and he'll see how great I am if I just stick around and, uh, usually doesn't end up working out in that favor. Um, so those are just a few things that come to mind, but yeah, I'd say early childhood uh, dynamics and, um, potentially your own lack of comfortability opening up. And again, that if you had a parent that wasn't very open and didn't make that known and safe that they were really available for you, you would likely mirror that with them. You wouldn't have like continued trying to extend and 
love them. And maybe you do, and maybe you're a bit more anxiously attached and you still see that um, coming out. But then if you notice if somebody leans in and is more available to you and all of a sudden you get repulsed, then that could be a good indication of some of your own lack of comfort with intimacy and depth. And um, yeah, that push pull dynamic of the anxious and avoidant wound loaded answer. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I was just, I was thinking back to a time when you were saying something where this, so this was me like 10 years ago. So Um, I'd go on dates and I'd be like, I wonder when it'll end. And I'd say that all the time. And then the the relationship be over and I'm like, Oh, there we go. No surprise. And it's like, I was obviously attracting that because of the the way I was thinking about relationships. And when I started to do the inner work, then I I started to attract available partners. And, you know, I've realized that what you think and what you say as well has an overall effect of what kind of partner you you have as well in that moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Words. I'm I'm not going to get this right. There's, I think it's like the meaning of abracadabra or something like that. The the underlying meaning is actually something about words creating magic or creating a reality. And um, I wish I could quote that more properly in the moment, but it's something like that. And it's, it's really true in that our words are part of our thoughts, which influence our choices, how we see the world, how we respond and therefore create our reality. So it's really powerful to be mindful of how you speak and what you believe and what you think and how much can change from there. It's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Can you tell us about your, the program Alchemy? Yes, I'd love to. So (laughs) Alchemy is a program for women and we go really deep into the relationship that you have with yourself, because that is the relationship that forms every other relationship around you, right? Relationship to romantic partners, friends, family, um, you know, even career and self-worth and and such. So it's a really deep um, inner work dive into that relationship to self and seeing how that shows up. So we do go really into romantic patterns because I like to say uh, relationships mirror a deeper level of our psyche in our mind than we're consciously aware of on our own, right? Because those blind spots get really activated. And I'm sure everyone's had the experience of feeling blissful at a certain point in a relationship. And then all of a sudden, so triggered and activated and struggling and all the stuff comes up. So I like to look through that lens because it reveals a lot and you can join the program, whether you are single or married or in a long-term relationship, whatever your relationship status is. Um, so you'll be doing some inventory of relationships from the past and different dynamics that played out to really understand that. And yeah, the, the point of it all is really to support you in rewriting a, a more healthy way forward and, and having healthier uh, relationships and conscious relationships specifically. So um, lots of tools and practices for different things you can do with a partner, how to build intimacy, how to work through conflict. Um, You know, this can also be transferred to friendships and and family. So it's really just a lot of building those skills that you can have those healthy relationships and then understanding the mechanisms of the mind, so to speak, that contribute to the way in which you show up in relationship. So it's a lot of deep diving and integrative practices, somatic work, some ancestral resolution work, shadow work, um, all the works and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a 90 day program. So it's pretty intensive and, um, 
my purpose with it really, and what I feel as though the gift that was given to me is that I believe that everyone can do enough of this work and then walk away feeling really empowered within themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, my whole thing is guiding people and supporting people through this journey, but I want everyone to know that they ultimately hold their own answers within and with the right teachings and theories and tools, everyone can connect to that and everyone can be empowered in making radical change in their life. So um, I really want to give that gift of the work because it keeps on going and deepening and just gets to be this really beautiful, expansive self-discovery and unfolding. Um, so yeah, that's a bit about the program and um, it's going to be starting up in September. So if you are interested in joining or want to hear more about it, um, you can check out the link in my website um, or just message me any questions that you may have. Perfect. I'll be, well, I'll be adding show notes anyway, so we can add it in there. <laughs> okay. <As well. laughs> I thought so. I wasn't sure. I was like, uh, I words. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. And <laughs> um, I'm just going to say, I'm so grateful for what, the work that you're doing because I think we're very similar where it's, it's, it's not about people depending on us. It's helping them to come back to their empowerment in themselves so they can make the right decisions for themselves. And I feel that is what need, is needed more in the spiritual world. Yes. Yes. I have so many thoughts and feelings towards <laughs> some of the things that are unfolding in today's day and age. Like one yeah. of them being this weird power dynamic of like, I am a guru and I have your <laughs> answers for you and you need to follow what I say. And, and it's like a weird marketing tactic that is yeah. like just very unhealthy and perpetuating that story. Like you're broken. You need to do this and you can't <sighs> do this happy and it's it can get really weird and manipulative so I'm glad to hear you're you're there with me (laughs) yeah and thank you for just sharing that because it's so true like I because I went deep into the spiritual world back gosh we're talking yeah 20 2012 was my move transformation 2013 so I was around a lot of heat like there weren't healing circles but they were more like retreats and events and you know I started to see the power dynamic and I really didn't like the way people had power over people um Mm -hmm. And I'd end up running away from people like that because I was like, hmm, something doesn't feel right. And like, I trust mm-hmm. my intuition. Um, and obviously now I'm really back home to myself, but um, the whole thing about guru, I, I find it really disrespectful. So I'm spiritual, but I grew up in the Sikh community. So mm. there, are, there are Sikh gurus that were there for a reason. And so when people call them themselves guru Ram or guru, I don't know, I can't even think of the names, like, it really annoys me because it's like you're trying to have this higher power than everybody else, but we're all equal. We're all human. And yeah, once they have this label of guru on top, it's like they think they're the one with the whole knowledge and they yeah. have the answers, but nobody has the answers for other people. We're all guides and we can only show what we can see, but we don't know what's right for somebody. Only they do. We are our kind of gift is to help them to tap into their own inner wisdom so that they don't have to rely on anybody ever again. Yeah. Yeah. And how much more powerful and actually effective that is. And I think a lot of people are seeking leadership and if you're guiding somebody, it's still leading people, but in a way of, as you said, connecting them to their own inner empowerment so that they can also step up to being their own inner guide. Right. And, and having that clarity. So yeah, just, encouraging everyone to really pay attention to maybe anyone that is showing up in that way of 
you know, labeling themselves as guru or even just kind of holding themselves in this like all knowing kind of righteous energy and to be really mindful of that. And, uh, unfortunately that tends to be what gets the most, um, traction at times and trust, which is sad. Um, cause I think especially something that, you know, I'm here in Bali and there's a lot of that going on here is a lot of people will be coming here looking for, you know, maybe their first initiation onto their spiritual path. And if you encounter somebody who's like, Oh yes, I am very spiritual and I know what you need for healing (laughs) and you need to heal your mother wound. And clearly it's happening here because you haven't done enough of this or whatever. Um, (laughs) If that's happening, if anyone's ever walking up to, this happened to me, that's why I'm (laughs) all activated right now. Somebody unsolicitedly came up to me on the street and started trying to tell me what I need to do. And they didn't even know me. I was like, wow, this is so unhealthy. This is so clearly a projection and it's like Mm -hmm. not okay. And I just see a lot of people who are susceptible to that because they're like, okay, I'm here. All these people are more spiritual than me and more awakened. I need to follow what they say. And then I think that can just get people trapped into some really weird power dynamic. So anyway, yeah, be careful. That's all I'm trying to say. (laughs) I think it, yeah, it's, it's not that we're trying to scare you guys out there. It's just, just be, we're kind of trying to say, be more mindful because again, if your intuition is saying, Oh, something doesn't feel right. Trust that because usually it's, it's, it's right. (laughs) Um, but like I can share like, gosh, years ago, like I was, I met through somebody at an event and like, I had a bit of hair loss at the time. And she was like, Oh, we can do this, this healing thing. And it wasn't working or I don't know how many sessions and obviously hair takes time to grow anyway. Um, but she was like, Oh, I spoke to one of my friends and she tapped into your energy. And I was like, hold up. You didn't even ask permission. Like you don't go around sharing other people's stuff without their permission. Like there was no, and I felt very vulnerable in that moment. And I felt really hurt. Cause again, it was something, it, it took me back to my childhood a little bit, which again, I had to obviously clear. Um, and then she said stuff like, oh, my friend said that you'd been raped. And I was like, what? And it's, it was completely false. So what actually turned out was I actually had a kidney problem in 2015. And mm-hmm. I actually had a kid. I was born with a kidney defect, which I didn't know about until 2017. So they mm-hmm. were just lying. They were just using information. They're making things up just to make a profit out of me. And that I thought is ridiculous. Like, wow. yeah, there's a lot of harmful people out there. So you've got to be aware and... Um, I remember thinking, what is she talking about? This is a load of, like, I would obviously know if it was past life because I'd pick, I'd pick it up or something. It, and it wasn't. It was just this person wanting to make money out of me and wasn't getting her way with me. Um, yeah. But yeah, the sign was the fact asking somebody else to tap into my energy. That was just a bit strange. And so I had to learn how to clear all that. But um, moving forward, yeah. what I'm trying to say is that if somebody does something like that, it's not right you need to find people that are going to respect you and have boundaries and are going to hold the space where you can share your truth and, you know, your emotions, but it's private and it's not shared without your permission. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think a big sign, and this is something that I I do actually think a lot of people, even, you know, like mentors in this space struggle to do is it's best if you are working with somebody who doesn't say, this is definitely what's happening for you. Clearly, mm-hmm. because you did this and that, you're suffering from this wound, right? So it's kind of like assumption of, I know best. I know what's wrong with you. And, you know, somebody can have an intuitive feeling. Oh, did you maybe struggle with a similar dynamic with one of your caregivers, right? But that's very different if you're inquiring and asking questions yeah. and being guided into what is true for you 
rather than having somebody say, definitely, this is what's going on in your experience. I know better, trust me. Right. So it's this weird power dynamic that I think people can get sucked into. So I, I think that's something that's important to look out for is somebody that's more asking you questions to inquire within rather than telling you what it is that they see. A hundred percent. And as long as they're teaching you how to come back home to yourself, that's all that really matters. And yeah. if, like you said before, if they're making you dependent, then <laughs> question that. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It just makes me think of this one, um, I guess, quote, you could say, I'm not going to quote it well, but this concept that one of my teachers taught me that Carl Jung said, um, and he, he was talking about how, when he was sitting down with a client, he would, you know, he was obviously so researched and founder of so much founder of shadow work, founder of um, so many really important um, psychological concepts and theories and understandings. But he would say that when he was going to meet with a client, he would throw all the theory out the window just so that he could get really present with somebody mm. and just so that he could really listen and not get looped into trying to psychoanalyze. Is it that, is it this wound? Is it coming from here? And just be so present with somebody and then trust that in that moment that the right theory or understanding would come through simply from just being a really strong active listener. And I just felt compelled to share that because it just feels relevant to um, mm. that way in holding space that is more about asking questions and getting curious rather than assuming. And when we can do that, how powerful that is. And even if it's, you're not a mentor or you're not in the space, even just sitting with a friend and being totally still and totally silent just to be with them in what their experience is and how much more impact they'll actually get from that rather than trying to assign maybe theories or why is this happening or what's kind of going on, right? If we can just really be with people in their experience and sometimes that's all we need. Mm, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that because it's so true what you're saying and what he says. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> that blew me away. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, it, it's true. You're right. Even like, even when we have conversations, like the best ones are when we're present and we're just yeah. being and we're not thinking ahead or what, what, like you said, yeah, the whole an analysis, you know, you're right. Just being yeah. in that liquid gold magic moment. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just asking questions, like how good would it feel to just be sitting there telling somebody about what's going on at your deepest moment or level, or maybe even not fully going there, but then them going, wow, that must've been intense. Tell me more about that. Mm. What did that feel like for you? What did that make you think about? And just how good that feels to be asked questions. And, and when you're in the space of listening to somebody else and asking questions, witnessing how much more people feel connected to you and inspired to go deeper and start to reveal more of themselves to you and how, how much depth can be formed in our relationships. Like, it's just so beautiful to practice that curiosity. So kind of switch from talking about coaching and guiding and mentoring, but just to our everyday relationships, like how much impact that simplicity of just being an active participant and listening and asking more questions can do. That's beautiful. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> like you got me. Forever. <laughs> um, we are coming towards the end of the show. I've just got a few more questions left. Um, mm -hmm. What are your five top tips for somebody who wants to accept themselves, but they don't really kind of know where to start? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I'd say 
step number one is understanding all the ways in which you don't accept yourself. So where is that self-rejection, right? And what are the mean things you say to yourself? Or what are the stories you make up in your mind of fear and, you know, worry or assumption? So we all make those narratives up in our mind of, of what situations mean in the moment. Hopefully everyone knows what I'm talking about when I say that, but just... <laughs> Yeah, how we can carve out these this whole mental narrative or idea of what something externally or when something externally happens, what that then means about yourself. So just being able to notice that self-rejection and pay attention to it. And then I guess the second tip from there would be to uh, actively challenge that. And at a certain point when you become really aware, you're going to be able to catch that in the moment. And instead of buying into it, instead of saying, oh yeah, that is right. I do suck or I'm not capable or I'm not attractive enough or I'm not worthy or whatever you can go. Nope. I'm not going to, I'm not going to entertain that one today. Easier said than done, but it is a practice. And then I'd say another step is then getting curious, like where did this form and something that can really help us, um, stop believing in painful narratives and stop rejecting ourselves is having compassion for why we developed in the way that we developed. Right. So when we get more clear on how does this connect, like relate to my childhood, then we can understand who we are, why we're the way we are and have more self acceptance and forgiveness and compassion, um, which then allows us to equally be compassionate and loving with other people too. So it's really important. And the fourth step I would say in, I don't know if this is in a particular order. I think we're going to be kind of cycling through all different, all of these <laughs> steps in different orders at different times. Um, but it's to also find the centeredness and peace and stability within your own body. So a lot of that self-rejection we think about as a thought in the mind or a belief, which it is that, but it's also stored pain and reaction in our body and trauma that hasn't been processed. So I know we talked about earlier moving more of that emotional energy and finding safety and feeling your feelings, um, mm -hmm. but really also just coming into deeper connection with how things feel in your body. Like we're so disconnected from our body and we can't actually move forward in life and make changes unless our body is on board. So if you go to try a new thing, yet your nervous system is freaking out, you're not going to be able to move past that. So if you can take time to like scan through your body and, and feel maybe how different emotions take up space in your body or when there's some activation or discomfort and can you pay attention to that and take some deep breaths and start to work with maybe like movement or any other self-soothing practices to bring yourself back into peace so that you can feel more safe moving forward. These are big concepts. And I'd say my, the last tip I have, which kind of ties into, I believe the second one that I said about not buying into the narratives mm -hmm is also not getting too looped into the analysis. And obviously I've talked a lot about like, where did this come from and what's going on? What's the belief system? And that it's all important, but it really requires balance because I think sometimes in this work, um, especially when a lot of people are newer to it, it becomes this like all encapsulating obsession. And then sometimes we get really stuck in this identity of like, 
here's all the things that were wrong with me and all the bad things that happened in my past. And I can't seem to get out of that. And this is just me and where I'm at. So I think being able to have that balance and not getting too caught up in what it is that you discover while also keeping an open mind and, and just using these tools and practices, um, yeah, in a balanced way and having more fun. I'm adding in one more step because that's really important and kind of ties into my last point, which is just all of this work should be in service of you having more fun, feeling more free, being more connected, loving more, receiving more love, like all of that. So it should be nourishing and beautiful and connective and fun and expansive. And it doesn't always have to be hard and intense and drudging through the mud. So that's my tips. <laughs> beautiful. Thank I, you. I just can't answer things simply. I'm like, my brain goes into like 72 directions when you ask me the one question. So I'm like, how do I bring this together? That's okay. You're being <laughs> present. You're just trusting your flow. Just trust it. <laughs> um, uh, what are you most grateful for? It's <laughs> hard to answer because there's so many things. Um, I, I struggle with like most of anything questions, you know, um, <laughs> right now, currently I'm feeling extremely grateful for my relationship, my partner, oh. who's just been such an ally for me in this healing journey and just helped me open in ways that I didn't really ever think I could, or hadn't at least experienced with a, with a partner. So just very grateful to be in this journey with him and to have his support and yeah, just his devotion and commitment to the relationship. So I'm really, really grateful for that. Oh, bless him. <laughs> um, and what shines your inner light? Hmm. Honestly, listening to other people and being with other people in their depths and their experience and uh, really feels like something that I was meant to step into, but something that helps me step into my own inner light is just being able to witness other people for what it is that they're going through and actually get out of my own inner drama of my own world, just to really be present with someone. So I think that's something that, that helps me feel really like myself and really free and expressed and grounded. Beautiful. Thank you for general, just being yourself and helping so many women shine their inner light and just be the best version of themselves. Yeah. Well, thank you too for doing this work. And um, <laughs> we were talking a little bit before the, before the episode started, but just being such a kind and supportive person and just encouraging women all over um, to rise up and step into their power. And uh, yeah, I just really feel this um, amazing genuineness and gentleness to your soul. So it's been really nice to connect. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> What a great episode with Janelle. Wow, I just salute you for how much inner work you have done at such a young age. And it just inspires me to just keep doing more of the work and really just listening from within. Unfortunately, that's the end of the show. Before I leave, I want to leave you with this quote. I found I was more confident when I stopped trying to be someone else's definition of beautiful and started being my own. That's a quote by Remington Miller. Take care, my sisters. Bye. For more information about the show or how to trust your inner light, visit my new coaching program at girdshandle.com.
And remember, stay happy, stay healthy, stay lit. lit.